Hey, welcome to episode one of the Barbarians at Work podcast. About a week or two ago, I ran across a short clip of a Q&A session at the end of a talk by psychologist and professor Jordan Peterson. It was just a clip of a question from the audience at the end of his talk and his response to it. And I want to play you that clip and the question and his response, and then I'll talk about why this kind of stopped me in my track so quickly. So this week we've had the, the Google thing. There was the YouTube thing that happened uh, last week. What's going on with censorship and what should people do about it? If you're in a workplace and pathological things are happening, this is easy. I can tell you how you know if pathological things are happening at your workplace or they're happening with you. One of the two, but you can straighten that out. If you're being required to do things that make you weak and ashamed, then stop. Don't do them. Like one of the things I learned from Solzhenitsyn and Frankel was that Systems go terribly under, out of control when people don't stop them when they're going mildly out of control. You know, and you might say, oh, I should just keep my goddamn head down and shut up. It's like, maybe you should. Like, that's not bad advice. You know, you don't want to make unnecessary enemies, and you don't need any more trouble than you need. But you've got to ask yourself on a day-to-day -day basis, what makes you think you're not selling your soul? You know, and... There's so much foolishness going on in the mid-level bureaucratic world now. That's where all the tyranny seems to be focused. And the reason that it multiplies is because sensible people say nothing when they should say something. And what's so strange about that is that there are way more sensible people than people who aren't sensible. They're just not as noisy. So what you'll turn out if, like, you know, so let's say something's bugging the hell out of you at work. Well, then you have to prepare to, to find another job. That's the first thing you have to do. I don't think that you should find another job, but you should prepare to find another job. And if possible, you should prepare to find a better job. Because if you can't tell someone to go to hell, then you can't negotiate with them. And if, and if they've got you over a barrel, then you can't say anything. So you've got you to set yourself up so you've got some mobility. And actually, that's a really good principle in your life, period. You should set yourself up so that you have a lateral move at hand. And then you should find out, well, are there things at work that are disturbing my soul? You know, and you find that out. First of all, you ask yourself, okay, I'm disturbed at work. Okay, I'm probably weak and deceitful and useless and lazy. You might as well start with that. And then you talk to some people, like your, your wife, your friends, your coworkers, and find out, are you stupid, deceitful, and lazy? Or is there something not so good going on at work? And so if you... If you can then eliminate your own personal pathology as a cause of your dissatisfaction, then maybe there's something rotten in the state of Denmark. And maybe you should say something about it before the whole goddamn thing collapses, because that can happen. It can happen in companies a lot faster than people ever think. You know, and you may find that, well, first of all, you may find if you say something, well, first of all, that's an adventure, that's for sure. That's a bloody adventure. And you have to do it carefully. And, and you have to be prepared for it. But it might be the best thing that ever happened to you. And the other thing is, if you're careful about it, you get your words right. Like, and this is a this is strategic battle, right? It's not something you wander into carelessly. 
then you may find that there's lots of people who feel exactly the same way you do and that you've actually cottoned on to something. You're a canary in a coal mine and not just some like psychopathic mouthpiece. So you got to ask yourself when you go and do what you do, like is this making you stronger? Is this making you weaker? And if it's making you weaker, then you got to ask yourself, do you really want to be weaker? Because the weaker you get, the more you're tyrannized. And then worse than that, like the weaker you get, the more bitter you get. And the more you'll work towards terrible things, the more you'll snap at your wife, the more you'll kick your kids, you know? Like, it's no joke to be tyrannized at work. And so I would say you have an ethical responsibility as a citizen to forthrightly confront creeping tyranny no matter where it occurs. And part of, part of what we're learning, I would say, from these stories, if we're learning anything at all, is that if you're aimed at the good, which is a question you really got to ask yourself, you know. If you're genuinely aimed at the good, then take heart. Because you're a lot stronger than you think. Although the question itself was around speech and thought codes dictated by employers, the response from Peterson touched on something that I think is pretty universal in large businesses, maybe in smaller organizations too, but I've seen this mostly in larger businesses is that uh, uh, fundamentally it, it's about what kind of environment senior leaders in the organization are creating and to an even more fundamental level do they even understand that they are creating an environment um, whether they're actively engaged in it or not at the end of the day they are creating a certain environment with certain expectations peterson mentions a few things to look out for if if you're an employee and you want to know if, as he describes it, pathological things are happening in the organization, that you should go through four things he mentioned um, to identify if basically if you have a problem with where you work. Um, and I'll go through those four because I think they're uh, instructive if you think about them in terms of, of uh, business, not in terms of necessarily as the questioner was raising um, Brown's uh, freedom of speech within uh, the corporate environment, um, which is a separate topic, really, obviously. So the first thing that Jordan mentioned is that if you're an employee and you're being asked or required to do things that make you feel weak or ashamed, you should stop. On the surface, I think we can all agree, yeah, employees shouldn't be required to do things that make them feel weak or ashamed. That's not a good way uh, to manage people. That's not a, a good way to manage an organization. And if we think about it rationally, it, it doesn't result in a good outcome even for the customer. You can only kind of crush people's spirit for so long. You can actually get some work out of them, I suppose, in the short term, but it's not a long-term strategy, certainly. But I think that the interesting thing about Peterson's framing of this is making people feel weak or ashamed. The way that I translate it in my head is are you doing things that make employees feel humiliated? A shame is kind of a different context in our culture, but are you doing things that make employees feel humiliated? And I've, I've observed this, especially in large organizations where employees are humiliated, even when that's not the intent of management. They don't really realize it. Now, if, I think a lot of them uh, in those roles, if they sat and thought about it for a little bit, they might say, yeah, that makes sense. That's kind of humiliating. Why do we do that? And most managers certainly wouldn't put it in terms of humiliation, but I think if we look at it with an open mind from a management perspective, a lot of things we're doing day to day in our organizations are not intended to be humiliating, but that's the end result. Uh, and I think that humiliation there is a more appropriate word. 
than being ashamed of what you're doing. Um, the second thing that uh, Peterson mentions is systems go terribly out of control when people don't stop them when they are going mildly out of control. Now, if we know normally a system will go increasingly out of control over time if you're not managing it actively. Now, sometimes that's just kind of lack of diligence. People aren't paying attention. People don't realize what's really going on. They don't have kind of the visibility or the headlights about where the organization is going. Environmental factors kind of change and things start to drift. And before not before long, you end up having an organization that just doesn't work in the new context. There's also more troubling things that happen where uh, systems go out of control, actively managed by the company and the leadership in the company. But let's talk about two things here. One is where uh, people who see stuff that is going a little bit off the rails, but they don't say anything, and then it gets progressively worse. These things kind of compound over time. And we have some recent examples of very vaunted companies, very well-respected companies that have gone out of control. And you can see if you look back through the information provided as to how these particular organizations got into so much trouble, you can easily see, well, yeah, this is, this is kind of obvious in hindsight. And I bet a bunch of people in the organization knew that there was a problem, but for some reason they didn't speak up. They didn't say anything. So we have examples like Wells Fargo, where you had literally thousands of employees engaged in a fraudulent activity, in that case, creating fake accounts for customers, driven the nexus of that was around a outcome metric where they had to have a certain number of accounts, accounts per customer. And that, that, let's call it a stretch goal, was maybe, I think it was twice what the average was in the industry. You know, mo most banking organizations have something like two, two and a half products per customer. And I think Wells Fargo wanted to have something like six or something. Um, so when you have an outcome metric that's double what's normal in the industry, not saying that you can't achieve that goal, but it requires an active, open, transparent management of that process so that when you have people who are struggling to meet that goal, the right thing to do is to interact with them, mentor, coach, or decide it, it's just either we can't achieve that goal or it's not worth it because we have to basically sell our soul in order to meet that goal. But in in the Wells Fargo case, it, it wasn't the case that people would raise their hand and say, we need help or we don't know how to do it. There was so much pressure that eventually people figured out how to do it. They just cheated the system. It's kind of, uh, you, you know, you if you want to keep your job, you'll meet the numbers. Um, which is easy to say, it's much more difficult to actively engage with employees and figure out how do we achieve these goals together? Or is it possible? Is it is it possible in a framework that we would be proud of? And so that's a very recent one, Wells Fargo. And that was literally thousands of employees. So obviously it was very embedded in the culture where employees were not uh, not advised to speak up or to say something that was contrary to the corporate line. And that's where the humiliation comes in. When people pick, uh, stick their head up, raise their hand, they're shot down very quickly. And everyone else is very attuned to that. All the other employees are really watching that. And over time, you get a system built up in an organization where is if, if things are starting to go wrong, you don't have the ability 
and the mechanism to understand what that is. And that's that's a dangerous thing. That means that your organization is basically flying blind and that if you give a, a, a dictate that says we're going to achieve this goal and you you have the, you know, your, your intentions are pure, you're trying to provide your organization with a stretch goal and trying to improve your organization and build it over time, it could have really perverse consequences if you don't have a more transparent organization where people are more comfortable raising their hands and they're not humiliated and they're not slapped down. If you don't have that process, eventually you get this Wells Fargo kind of effect where you could have thousands and thousands of people engaged in what is obviously the wrong thing to do. And it never really gets to the top. Um, you know, if you, if Wells had thousand employees basically banging on the door, yelling and screaming that this is wrong, even the most disconnected executive would say, "Wait a minute, what's going on? This isn't normal. Why is everybody yelling and screaming?" But I suspect it was crickets everywhere. Um, nobody wanted to say anything, and that was the the culture. Another interesting one is is Volkswagen, and I think a lot of other companies have gotten caught with this same kind of problem. And Volkswagen, the story is that uh, they wanted to be the biggest car maker uh, in the world. And in order to do that, you have to have a big presence in the United States. Um, long story short, Volkswagen's entry point secret sauce in the US market was their diesel engine cars. And they could sell those with, you know, uh, in the US, they would be affordable, you know, German engineered cars um, that would have good gas mileage. All sounds very good, except for the environmental laws in the United States made it, let's say, super difficult slash impossible for those diesel engines to uh, meet all of the environmental regulations. Now, on one hand, an organization, a good organization with transparency and where people are, are willing to speak up, there would have been some deep engineering conversations about, hey, how can we meet or can we meet these objectives using this technology? Even though that's our, our, our wish and our desire, is it possible? Do the physics work out? And although I, based on what I've read, there were engineers at VW who did push back because of the culture of a very strong central leader dictating these, pushing people um, you have to achieve these goals. Eventually, what happened is people figured out how to meet the goals. And in this case, they simply cheated. They simply wrote software that detected when it was doing an emissions test. And it basically reduced the power of the car such that it wouldn't it would report pollutants at a level that met the federal guidelines. But of course, when when the car detects that it's on a real road and all four wheels are spinning and it's a normal thing, it just jacks up the power and the pollution is off the charts compared to what um, what's being reported to the public and to the uh, government regulators. And so this is again where there's there's lots of people, lots of very smart people, who have to one figure out how do we how do we cheat the system? We have to write the software, a fairly sophisticated bit of software to detect when the cheating has to begin and when the cheating doesn't have to begin. We have to hide this in our, our systems across multiple cars, probably in multiple jurisdictions. And when we're finally caught, uh, which was kind of a random event, some university was just trying to uh, research something else. They just happened to use uh, among their test fleet some Volkswagens. 
then we're going to kind of push back. We're going to pretend it didn't happen. We're going to tell the regulators who are calling us on this that, you know, you guys don't know what you're talking about until the whole house of cards falls. And this is an obvious outcome of you have, in the case of VW, almost a, a, a physical impossibility of with this technology meeting these pollution requirements. And rather, rather than having that difficult conversation and uh, work on what do we do as a company to grow our market in the US, and can we use our diesel technology to do that? Or is there something that's preventing us from doing that that we just can't solve for? And in that case, what else do we do? You can have those conversations, and I'm sure they could come up with something. But instead, this, this culture of pushing people down, humiliating people, resulted in a process where uh, very good people who knew it was physically impossible, they figured out a way. And the way was to cheat the system. And there's no one to blame on the Wells Fargo or the VW uh, examples other than management and leadership, because this was the organization they created, even if that wasn't their intent. And I don't think, based on what I've read, that uh, Wells Fargo or VW, that wasn't their intent. But the, you had people who were acting in a certain way and didn't realize where this kind of would end up. Obviously, this would end up in a certain place that wasn't great unless it's managed. But that wasn't, they didn't set out to, we're going to cheat the system. Uh, it's one of these easy things from a management perspective is just say, you got to work harder, you got to think more. You, if I push people, they'll achieve. And in some cases, that's true, but you've got to be careful about how much you push because you push hard enough on something, eventually you're going to break it. And you need to understand where those guide rails are on pushing people and getting the best out of people and motivating people and when you just break them. Uh, and I think in the case of Wells and VW, they, they eventually broke them and then they didn't have the mechanism in the organization to understand that they had broken something. And then once you get, you get down that road, it's, it's, just, it's just until the cards collapse and the whole thing blows up in your face, which is what happened. We do have other cases that I think are fundamentally different than, than cases like Wells or VW in that you have cases like Enron or even like Theranos, where I think there's a more of an active engagement in from a senior management, senior leadership level. We know we're doing something wrong and we're going to manipulate the system to do something wrong. And you know, Enron is the poster child for that sort of thing. Theranos, if you haven't read uh, about the Theranos debacle. There's a book called Bad Blood that's really excellent. I think there's an HBO miniseries. But that's another case where, even in the case of Theranos, where it started out, I think, with a you know a good intention, but it was a case where what, what was being tried was being tried from the perspective that it, it's not physically possible what, what the, the device that was being worked on. And the people who understood the science around it and the medicine said, this is not really possible what we're being asked to do. It's just physically not possible. And there was then a, a pushback, like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. You can get it done, you know, push, push, push. And eventually it broke where the whole thing was a big scam, where they just made stuff up. And in, in one case, you know, if, if somebody is creating fake accounts in a banking system or something, I mean, that's, you know, one level of kind of uh, corruption. If you're a company providing medical devices and medical test devices and it's a scam, that's a totally different thing. Now you're you're literally taking people's lives into your hands. And that that's just a whole nother level of wrong, obviously. But it is a case where 
the leadership understood, in the case of Theranos, it was a small enough organization. I think it's pretty clear the leadership understood that there was a problem. They didn't have the science background or the medical background to really understand the details, but knew that all the right people who did understand that were pushing back pretty heavily. But their solution was to kind of go hard and heavy, to humiliate, to threaten, get the lawyers, the whole nine. And it just it just piled up on itself until it collapsed like a like a house of cards. And if you read the story of Theranos, you kind of wonder, is this even true? I mean, it's so bizarre and it's so obvious that it's wrong on its face. And there are lots of people, very smart, um, well-known people, but not many in the medical field. But people in, you know, former State Department, uh, secretaries of state, that sort of thing, former generals. So these are are smart people, but they they even they were kind of uh, cowed based on uh, the pushing from management. And at some point, I think in Theranos, it, it stopped being a we have this this bright vision of doing something good for humanity, and then it became a more sinister thing, where we, we just we're just going to fake it till we make it which works probably in software and other things, but it doesn't work in medical devices when you're actually giving them to patients and having them make medical decisions based on that data. That's just a, a wrong thing all the way around, very sinister action. But I think that the vast, vast majority of companies, 99.9%, .9%, I don't know what it is, don't fall into that Enron Theranos category. Most companies fall somewhere in the Wells Fargo VW, even if they haven't blown up, if they don't have a transparent process, because as they're pushing down goals and objectives onto people through the organization, you have to have a feedback loop that says, what's really going on here? And have we erred in some way? Have we drifted beyond where we're comfortable as an organization? And if you don't have that, then you're going to eventually probably have a problem. Um, it's also a good indicator if you're a leader of an organization and you you don't feel that pushback when you uh, provide stretch goals or you have some vision that's a difficult to achieve vision. You should expect some kind of pushback, some back and forth. If you don't if you don't feel that, then it probably means you have an organization where people are not comfortable providing that feedback, and that's a big danger sign. Now, the third thing that Peterson talked about was. And this was interesting because it's not it's not obvious on its face, but when I thought about it, I said, you know, he's he's got something here based on who's doing the observing. Um, and so he said that a lot of the foolishness going on is happening in the mid-level bureaucratic world. He said that's where all the tyranny seems to be. Now, part of it again, he was talking about you know, let's say, quote unquote, freedom of speech in business. But I think just from the standpoint of employee humiliation and employees feeling good about their organization and coming to work every day and, and doing a great job for their organization and their customers, a lot of the problem is happening at that mid-level interface and the employees. And part of it has to do with the employees never see the executives in most organizations. That's just a sad fact of the situation. Um, and so the employees are only dealing with mid-level managers or lower-level managers. The other thing is that the mid, especially the mid-level management in an organization is 
obviously, per definition, since they are in a mid-level position, they're wanting to move up in the organization. The vast majority of them do. Maybe some are happy in their, their position, but most want to move up in the organization. So they're very attuned to what is the expectation from the senior leadership above me, and I need to drive to achieve that expectation because that's how I'm going to get recognized and that's how I'm going to get promoted. And that's that's who I'm playing to. My audience is above me, not below me. And it can cause managers in the mid-level not to, to not to defend their teams, not to provide that feedback. They're not a conduit of feedback from the front lines to the leadership uh, at the top of the org chart. They're actually a propaganda machine, a converter of the data. They'll take the data, convert it into something that seems palatable to the levels above them. And so you as a as a senior leader in an organization, you lose all visibility. You're basically reading Pravda every day. And it's a super dangerous position to be in because you're just flying blind. Because even if you get all the managers, the mid-level managers in a room and say, hey, what the heck's going on? What you're going to get is not going to be the truth if you don't have a good transparent organization. And I would suspect that most organizations, large organizations are such that if you have a question and you go and ask a mid-level manager and you write down what they told you, you don't push back, you just accept what they say. And then you somehow find a way to determine or to get that feedback from an employee on the front lines. And you as a senior leader can't do that because you're going you're gonna to manipulate that situation even without knowing it. But let's say you could transparently get that data from a frontline employee. If you compared those two responses, they would be drastically different. And then in some ways, that's expected because there's a different visibility. You know, the, the person on the front line has really granular detail about what's going on. They've seen all the problems. They know where all the bodies are buried. The mid-level manager may not know as much about what's going on. But directionally, the two responses should be in sync or it should be obvious what the difference is. Maybe the manager has a broader view and the frontline employee just as, you know, the last five cases they got were really difficult and crappy cases. And so they're they're coming up with a different kind of view um, in the moment. But you should be able to kind of square that some way. If you can't, if it's totally different, then it means you have a disconnect. Your data flow is being manipulated in some way. And it's important as a senior leader to understand it's not being manipulated, the vast majority of cases. I, I don't say this never happens, but it's not being manipulated because the mid-level manager is a problem. It's being manipulated because you, as a senior leader, are a problem. You have somehow not communicated to your people, seriously enough, on what you really value. If you value honesty and transparency, and if we got a problem, tell me we've got a problem. If you haven't communicated that uh, sufficiently and successfully, it's your problem that mid-level managers are treating you in a certain way because they're doing it because apparently that's the, those are the signals you've sent. Um, and that's the hardest thing for, I think, a lot of senior leaders to understand is even if you have foolishness, as Peterson would say, going on in the mid-levels, a lot of these problems in the mid-levels, it's, it's really fundamentally uh, your issue as a senior leader. And my argument has always been, even if you have bad actors in the mid-level, it's still your problem because they work for you. And so you need to get rid of the bad actors if you do have that small percentage, and it's definitely a single-digit percentage, 
uh, low single digit percentage of people who are just bad actors. You know, they're just they're just basically psychopaths in your organization trying to kind of push everybody aside to do what's good for them, but not doing what's good for the rest of the organization. It's still your issue as a senior leader to deal with that, right? It's a problem. You hired them. You got to fire them. But the most of your mid-level managers are not like that, but they're communicating in a way that somehow you've communicated to them that that's how you want to be communicated to. And it's easy to do this. We'll maybe talk about this later about how easy this is for people in a position of authority or a power to communicate something they don't intend. And then that system just kind of weaves its way through and it gets increasingly off balance over time because of even minor stuff. It's amazing that people are really watching every move and everything you say and then interpreting that in a way that maybe you wouldn't want them to. Um, and it's very difficult to see that happening unless you have good feedback mechanisms. So the final and fourth thing that Peterson talked about was that this, this kind of chaos in organizations where things kind of start off a little bit off kilter and then it just blows up in everybody's face and you're wondering how the, how the heck did that happen? It multiplies because sensible people say nothing when they should say something. And he makes an interesting comment. He says, there's so many more sensible people, they're just not as noisy. And this happens a lot in large businesses where the you know squeaky wheel gets the grease. We've all said that. We kind of, at some level, understand what it means, but I don't think we take it seriously enough. Is a lot of the people in the organization who are most visible and most noisy may not be the ones that you want to be talking to. Uh, may not be the ones that you want to take your advice from or the data on how your organization is working. You want to see a process, you want to engage in a process where you have multiple levels of information and the people who may not be comfortable speaking up because, as I said previously, you've you've defined some expectation of behavior that may not be your intent, but you've defined it in a way that these people are going to decide to be quiet. And the noisy people are in that kind of environment, I think are the, the propagandists, are the ones who understand the game. They may understand that it's not the right game, but they know it's the game in this organization. It's the game to get me promoted, basically. And so you have to understand that and be explicit about looking for people who have a clear-eyed view about what's really going on and treating them in such a way that they don't feel fear or humiliation, or, you know, it's just not worth it raising my hand. And that is actually a super difficult thing to do in large organizations because it's not just about you as a senior leader. It's about all the mid-level managers, all the other people day to day. What are they doing? What are they saying? How are they acting? It's quite, quite difficult to manage. But if you don't manage it, you're going to have a situation where the 95% of people in your organization who know what's going on and can help save you from disaster are going to keep their mouth shut. Um, and the 5% that are really noisy and are always Johnny on the spot are going to lead you down a dark path. And you're not going to realize it until it's too late. Um, and that's just, I think, in the case of you know VW and, and Wells, uh, to me, it's pretty clear that's what was happening. And I think a lot of companies have these, these kind of problems. They may not all blow up in, in that grand fashion, um, you may have smaller issues, or you may just have companies who go down this path. They don't blow up because there's anything you know illegal going on, but they just kind of dissolve because the changes in the environment are such that the organization can't change 
to meet those challenges in the market. And eventually it just kind of dies, um, you know, slow, silent death. And then everybody's surprised. How, how, how come the numbers are going down? What's happening? We don't understand what's going on with our business. And it's because of this lack of feedback mechanism and this, this building up of a certain expectation of culture that people don't understand what they've, what they've defined. They don't understand what they've designed in the organization. And that's a real problem. So why, why does this happen? Like if, if we don't intend it to happen, and certainly I think my position is uh, companies like Wells Fargo and VW didn't intend the problems that they have had to happen. They, they, they didn't start out saying, we're going to, to do something that's wrong here. Some smaller examples, you know, Enron and the like, I think they start down this path and they kind of get what's coming to them. But for most most companies, even when we have spectacular failures, it's not the intent of people that this happens. But why does this happen? Now, one reason is, and this is a big one, is you know organizations grow larger and more complex, especially as they become successful, and you have hierarchies put into place. The leaders in the organization, especially the initial leaders of a division or a company, move farther and farther from the point of the work. From basically from the interface to the actual customer that's paying the bills. Now, in some cases, this is natural, although we'll argue a lot of organizational growth is unnecessary and, and unnecessarily complicates things without really providing anything um, of real benefit. But if we set that aside and say, well, organizations, as they become bigger and more successful, they just grow. We had people, we had process and hierarchy, and that's not always a bad thing. But the problem is, is that uh, you get into an issue where the people making the decisions and especially the people providing the stretch goals and the output measures that the organization and all the people in the organization are measured against are farther and farther away from the interface to the actual customers. And I, I mean the actual people who pay money to the organization for an exchange of value because those are the only relevant customers in any situation. And the farther you are from that interface, the less you're going to know about what's really going on in your organization. And because of the way hierarchies work, as you add more layers, you kind of become, you know, almost an, an, an untouchable presence. It's like, you know, royalty, you know, nobody is allowed to touch the queen. You know, it's, a, it's, it's something you don't do. And, you know, nobody's allowed to talk to the CEO. It's something you don't do. People are kind of afraid, even if that's not your intent. And so over time, you lose those connections. And even if you try to engage with employees on the front line, you're often not going to get the truth. You're not going to get the truth as a senior leader or an executive in most organizations because of that middle layer. The employees you're talking to, one, they don't talk to you every day. They don't understand what you're going to do with the information they give you. They don't know what happens after they say something. They don't know how their direct manager is going to respond. They don't know what their direct manager has told their manager above them, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, they, they don't know what the game is, you know, and there's a rule. If you don't know what the play is, you know, keep your mouth shut, like in a negotiation. If you don't understand what the play is, if you don't understand the strategy, it's best to keep your mouth shut because anything you say could kind of blow the whole negotiation up. And so the employees don't know what the strategy is here. They don't know what the deal is, who said what to whom. And so they're cognizant of that. And so they don't want to unravel it. And so it's best just to say some niceties, not go into too much detail, 
you know, be vague about it because they're not sure. And, and you're going to go back to your mahogany lined office at the top floor and they're going to be stuck dealing with whatever fallout from their local manager. And you're because you don't have those connections within the organization, you're not going to know what that mid-level manager has done, even unintentionally, right? They could be upset that, you know, why did you tell the CEO XYZ? You never told me. I mean, even that pushback rather than a manager, mid-level manager saying, you know, I, I wish you would have told me this is great information or we're going to try to do something about it or here's some additional information. That it's, it's basically, even if it's unintentional, it's basically a slap to the employee of how dare you speak up. That's, that's what the employee's thinking. If this is the issue, it's, it's super difficult as a leader to maintain that connection to the actual employees, even if, if you, even if you actively try to do it, unless you can deal with that kind of mid-level culture problem. What's the expectations and, and actively manage that? So that's the, uh, the outcome of this, this relatively simple question to Jordan Peterson. And it was these four things that really struck me as these are very common in large organizations. I've seen this stuff happen. It's not about free speech rights in the company. It's about how we treat people and the culture that we're developing intentionally or otherwise. And I think a lot of us in, in a leadership position have to be aware that whether we want to or not, or we intend to or not, we're always developing a culture in every interaction. And you have to be very open about adjusting the way you behave Otherwise, you're going to create something that you don't recognize. And it's not, it's not usually, in my view, not going to be a randomly good thing. I think these things tend toward chaos. They tend toward bad things, maybe not illegal activity, but it's, it's bad stuff in that you, you don't have an organization that can work and adjust to the market, which eventually is going to, going to catch you flat-footed. I mean, that's just the way it is. Now, here's uh, for, for next week, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to do this a little bit more detail, but talk about ways that if you're a leader, either senior management, executive, how can you tell if you have a problem or potentially have a problem in your organization? What are those things that, uh, you know, today we're talking about the employees. What are the employees seeing? But if you're a leader, senior leader, executive, what should you be looking out for when you're in a project update meeting or some kind of status meeting? What should you be looking at and observing to indicate whether you might have a problem? And then we can go into what are some of the things you can do about it to try to fix it? What, how can you actively engage to design the organization in a way where the expectations of people are aligned with you know, high performance, pushing the envelope, but also doing what's right? And when people are, are concerned, they're open to providing that feedback. So next week, same time, same place. Uh, we'll talk about uh, some of the things, the red flags, the warning signs from an executive level on if you, if you have an issue in your organization. Thanks for listening. This has been Barbarians at Work podcast, episode one. Um, I'll talk to you next week. Thank you.